When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm your host, Adam Russell. Hey guys, I'm your host, Ryan Keith. And I'm Nick Gambarian. Also the host. And also, we have a guest. It's Ashi Bashar from Beartooth, bass players in the building. <laughs> Hello. Thanks for having me. Why do I keep getting annihilated by bass players? So just The world will respect us. <laughs> One Star Wars podcast at a time. <laughs> I respect you. A lot. President Matt Freeman of Rancid will lead us. Ashi's not your real first name, I've learned. Yeah. Did you learn that from the one other podcast I've been on? I did. Do you want to say your real name or you just want to be Ashi on this one? We won't call you the other things. I can let everybody know if they want. Um, yeah, my real first name is Julian, but uh, I've gone by Ashi since before I was even born, and no one's ever called me Julian, not even my parents. Ashi's a way more Star Wars name than Julian. It is. You know what? You're right. That's a good way to look at it. <laughs> Case closed. So today we're talking about Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, fifth Star Wars film, second of the prequels, continuing the story of Anakin Skywalker's fall from the light to the dark, where everything sucks. Picks up 10 years after Episode 1, Anakin's 19, Padme's 24, things are a little less creepy. <laughs> still creepy. <laughs> it's still before the dark times, before the Empire, but there are hints. Things are happening. Things are in motion. Disney Plus describes his film as the following. When Jedi apprentice Anakin Skywalker is assigned to protect Senator Padme Amidala, he discovers his love for her. Did he just discover it right there? I feel like he'd been jerking off at home, like, yeah, just for years. Absolutely. <laughs> and his own darker side. Obi-Wan Kenobi uncovers a secret clone army as the galaxy marches toward full-scale war. This is a family-friendly podcast. Oh. Everybody out there now just laying in their quarantine podcast listening position, imagining... Young Jake Lloyd. Oh, man. <laughs> come on, man. Uh, uh, That's a good come up, though. Hay Hayden Christensen's pretty handsome. So, yeah. Okay, okay. Jake Lloyd to Hayden Christensen. He grew up pretty. Yeah, we're more comfortable imagining Hayden Christensen beating off to Padme. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Okay, great. When I imagine it, <laughs> it's Hayden. <laughs> He's a hunk. <laughs> All right, Ryan Key, give us the opening crawl. Here we go, boys and girls. There is unrest in the Galactic Senate. Several thousand solar systems have declared their intentions to leave the Republic. This separatist movement under the leadership of the mysterious Count Dooku has made it difficult for the limited number of Jedi Knights to maintain peace and order in the galaxy. Senator Amidala, the former Queen of Naboo, is returning to the Galactic Senate to vote on the critical issue of creating an army of the Republic to assist the overwhelmed Jedi. Guys, we're just overwhelmed. Can you guys help us? We're just so overworked. They were kind of spoiled. <laughs> they were. I like that they capitalized that. Army of the Republic. Emphasis. 
It's pretty badass. They go with the Jedi Knights maintaining peace and order in the galaxy again. Solid. Yeah. And and I think the idea of even all the way into Last Jedi when Luke is talking about the hubris of the Jedi and all the you know looking back on the trilogy like they were kind of prissy like they were they were kind of spoiled you know they were sitting around the council that like things had been good for so long that they were not really ready to deal with this threat. It's like anything; it's human nature. You'd hope that Jedi would be less susceptible to that kind of human nature, but doesn't matter how good you are at something, you do it for long enough and you get complacent. You take things for granted. You miss things that you wouldn't when you're maybe like in the process of learning and you're all focused on getting better and what your opportunities for improvement are, all that kind of shit. I'm in like corporate speak now, but (laughs) I get it to some degree. Let's not sell Palpatine short. He's just a master manipulator. Hide and seek. He's crushing it right now. He's seeing his final plan come through like... In this movie, Ryan, what is he again? Oh, um, Nick, are you are you referring to um, the greatest Sith Lord of all time? That's him. That's the one. That's the one. This crawl is in the same way the first one too, though is the political issues in it. You know what I mean? In the crawl, you're you're reading yeah. it. And you're like, wait, hold, hold on, hold on, wait, 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 slow, slow it down. Wait, what? There's a vote in a Senate and a thing. Yeah. Both crawls were kind of hit or miss for one and two. Yeah, very political crawl. And honestly, when I read it, it got it's a little confusing, isn't it? Because they were going to vote on bringing in an army, but they didn't really know about the clones yet. Excellent point. Yeah, that's the thing I want to what like army... get into and talk about specifically because yeah. the way it all unfolds is kind of curious and a huge example of poor judgment on the Jedi's part. We'll talk about that. Both of the crawls, though, and I think the point I was trying to make is both of the crawls had that sort of convoluted confusion to them, unfortunately. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, the, the way they both kind of opened with this whole political scheme of, of like, you're supposed to understand the starting point of where we're at on, on both of these films. And it's a, it's a lot of information to be scrolling up the screen, to be thinking about the Senate voting on some issue, you know. Yeah. All right. Let's get official. What have you done with those plans? Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones, released May 16th, 2002. Not a birthday film for Ryan Key again. Damn it. Sticking with the original May timeline, though. All the original films were released in May as well, right? Or summer. The summer blockbuster was kind yeah, of they were, invented. Yeah, they were good old classic summer blockbusters. Yeah. yeah. Marketing taglines for this film are actually pretty sweet. The big one, a Jedi shall not know anger, nor hatred, nor love. I remember that poster. Almost looks like a romance novel. They're facing away from each other. The text is down the middle. Yeah, they were like back to back. Yeah. The saga continues. The attack begins May 16th. The saga continues May 16th. The clones are coming all over everything. (laughs) 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 Sticking with the theme, size matters not, except on an IMAX screen. That's the IMAX release tagline. Directed by George Lucas, written by George Lucas, and Jonathan Hales. I didn't even realize this. He wrote on Adventures uh, of Young Indiana Jones and The Scorpion King. I was not aware. Classic, The Scorpion King. Just classic. <laughs> also, by the way, can we just go back really quick and just acknowledge that this film was released on the day of the best Lagwagon song ever written. Carry on. The one little tie-in here with the uh, Jonathan Hales was a writer on Young Indiana Jones was the, that was about, I want to say, a, approximately the time that that show was kind of around and they were messing a lot with like digital editing. 
yeah, which yeah. Is, is pretty cool. So I, I imagine Jonathan Hales kind of almost got the gig because of Adventures of Young Indiana Jones. Dude, did you know that one of the very, very first digital nonlinear editing softwares was made by Lucasfilm? Explain. So just video editing as we know it on computers, like iMovie or Final Cut or anything else, instead of cutting together physical pieces of film, you capture that footage into a computer and then cut it up, and it's nonlinear, meaning you can rearrange it however you want. You're not taping the film together. So Lucasfilm created one of the first ever. It was called Edit Droid, sweet name. They ended up selling it to Avid, which ended up being like the industry standard in Hollywood. So in a way, you could say that you have iMovie on your phone because of Star Wars. Well, that ties into a lot of what we already covered talking about The Phantom Menace. While it may not be our favorite thing that these films were so CGI heavy, it it is pretty amazing the ideas and the technologies that were created, invented, thought up, and made reality, you know, to make these films that went on to become industry standard. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. I mean, that's, that's, I think, you know, where ILM comes in. It's just this incredible force in the film industry. Facts. But I think that goes into, it's hard to criticize this stuff because I don't think in 2002 when I saw this movie that it bothered me like it bothers me now in the same way. But it's like, I think if you have to, if you put yourself in the shoes of being George Lucas making these movies, discovering all of this stuff, you would abuse it too. You know what I mean? Like you, you would use the shit out of it. Yeah. Like you, you would be putting things into practice before they're ready because you're like, yeah, this is fucking awesome. And I, I know that's what happened. And it's like, you can only fault him so much for being excited about all this technology he was creating and discovering to make these movies, you know? Agreed. It was probably ridiculously exciting at the time, you know? Well, dude, the entire film industry as, I mean, still to this day, as CG has been advancing, it's like fucking drugs to filmmakers. Yeah. Myself included, like I watch YouTube and just nerd out on any visual effects behind the scenes, anything, because it is so fascinating and so sweet that we can now just create any world we want. And I think everyone just saw the potential and got pumped. And yeah, we went through uh, a long, deep, uncanny valley for a lot of things. But now we're to the point where we can, like I said, pretty much create fucking anything. Yeah. And it's not like George Lucas was the only person doing, you know, abusing it per se. As you said, there was this whole valley of films in that time, late 90s, early, mid 2000s, when the technology was really popping off that the guys were just like, yeah, more, more, like, just, right. just do more. I mean, you have to put yourself in the time when it was being created. And I think like, you know, this being in 2002, I think he was just super psyched. And, and so much of it went on to be things and, and tools that films took inspiration from or used the technology directly for years to come. So we definitely got that out of these movies. For sure. There's a good uh, metaphor here from something I can remember. I remember reading a, a book where Brett Gerwitz of Epitaph Records and Bad Religion, it was just a book about kind of punk explosion in the early 90s. And Brett Gerwitz, instead of selling Epitaph Records back in the day to whoever was bidding the highest, decided not to sell. And his main point was, I want to raise the sea level for independent record labels. So instead of just cashing out, he raised the level of what an independent label can do. And I feel like George Lucas raised the sea level of what CGI could be 
all the way back in 99 and 2000 with these. And it made everyone need to catch up and in turn revolutionize themselves what CGI could be. So if George Lucas didn't do this stuff in 99 and 2002, then who knows where we would be right now. But the fact that he put it all on screen to use Brett Gerwitz, quote, raised the sea level and everyone had to play catch up. For sure. Yeah, and I think going back to the original trilogy, I, he uh, did that with practical effects and pushed the boundaries there and like made everybody catch up in that time. So he was like, I'm not just going to do the same thing again. He's like, I'm going to push it forward again Yeah, and do something that everybody needs to catch up with. So respect. Getting back to Stolen Plans, the cast returning, of course, Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan, Natalie Portman as Padme, Anthony Daniels as C-3PO, a car horn as the sound of a car horn. <laughs> the battery's got to die at some point. Yeah, including all of my electronic batteries. Oh, there we go. Okay. <laughs> Ahmed Best as Jar Jar Binks. Samuel L. Jackson as Mace Windu. Frank Oz as the voice of Yoda, now just the voice in this case. Ian McDermott as Chancellor Palpatine. Pernilla August, is that how you say her name? As Shmi Skywalker makes another appearance. We debated this. It's, it's Pernilla or Pernilla. It's one or the other. Anthony Saccombe as the voice of Watto. Maybe that's how you say his name. Maybe it's not. And uh, Silas Carson as Kieti Mundi and Vice Roy Newt Gunray. New cast, though. The fucking legendary Christopher Lee as Count Dooku slash Darth Tyrannus. Bringing in another horror film fucking legend. Peter Cushing being the other in A New Hope. Tamara Morrison as Django Fett. Daniel Logan as Boba Fett, Lil Baby Boba. Jimmy Smith's as Senator Bail Organa. When I found out that Bail Organa was in this, I was super pumped. Just the very just the very concept of an appearance of Leia's adoptive father was just so sweet to me. Yeah. Same. Yeah, that was one of the cool reveals in this, you know, it was one of the moments of of holy shit that landed in this yeah. film for sure. Rose Byrne as Dorme, one of the one of um Padme's assistants. Does she play a decoy of her in this one or is she just an assistant? Well, all the handmaidens are decoys at some point or another. Maybe not in the yeah. film, but right, right. They all Word. end with an E with an accent over it, <laughs> and they're all, they're all her handmaidens, and they all kind of look like her, and they can all play her at any point. Roseburn to me is always Helen from Bridesmaids. Helen is the only. <laughs> yeah, what a role! So good, so good, so good. <laughs> She, you know, my favorite Rose Byrne movie is one of my favorite movies of all time is the Danny Boyle film Sunshine. She's awesome in that. I haven't seen that. Isn't it? That's super fucking dark and kind of I fucked, right? That's criminal, dude. That's it's criminal that you haven't seen that movie. I, I don't even know. Uh, I fucked up. Run, don't walk. Okay. <laughs> and of course, Hayden Christensen as Anakin Skywalker, new to the cast. We'll talk about some casting legends. We'll call them later. Two hour and 22 minute runtime, rated PG, for sustained sequences of sci fi action and violence. Budget is an estimated 115 million. That's about what episode one was total, right? Including marketing, I think they're putting all that in there. They have to be because we talked about with, with Phantom Menace how they said it was 50 mil, but the actual reported budget was around this, so that it has to include production and marketing. Grossed 80 million opening week in the US which is the only Star Wars film that was not the top-grossing film of the year in North America. It placed third after Spider-Man and Lord of the Rings Two Towers. I mean, that's fucking stiff competition, so it makes sense. But yeah. yeah, 310 million total in the U.S., 
not huge either. 654 million worldwide. I say not huge, but back in the day, that's a lot of fucking money. I think just like the expectations are so high. It is what it is. 6.5 on IMDb, 65% on Rotten Tomatoes with a 56% audience score. Pretty divisive again. 54 on Metacritic, not a win. Was nominated for Best Visual Effects. And like we said, the divisive nature of this film and um, the not stellar ratings have to point out that it won some Razzies. (laughs) Shot digitally again, fully digitally. Uh, in Spain, in Italy, Australia, Tunisia, we go back to Tatooine, and England for the majority of the soundstage stuff. 80 million is roughly 115 million by today's dollars. Thank you, Drew. Not a little bit of money, but not the massive expectation, you know, that we have for Star Wars films. Yeah, so what would that 654 million be? Not a bill, right? And Well, close. We all learned that Solo was deemed a, a failure yeah. over not making a bill. So You would have to think that because episode one was the divisive Star Wars movie that people just didn't come back. So episode two, just going to have less people seeing it in general. Yeah, Same yeah. issue with Solo, like we talked about. Same, I, think we, yeah, absolutely. We, I, think, I think we agree that Solo suffered some of that same post-Last Jedi divisiveness. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's not unusual for a sequel to uh, have a lower box office than the original. Right. Yeah. Just in general. It's really a wild concept. I mean, season one, two, three of any show or anything, it's very, very rare that it holds up or gets better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So do you guys remember anything about the first time you saw the movie, where you were, who you were with, anything? I wish I could help you, but I have no fucking clue. I have no idea. It was 2002, so many years ago i have my ticket stub but i don't remember much about it i was in california or on tour probably but i don't yeah i don't remember exactly where i was yeah 2002 for me it was just long island uh, watching it with a bunch of buds stoked to see some Django and boba had a good time this was the first um star wars film that i like went to with my friends i was like 16 so I guess when episode one came out, you know, I went to see it with like my mom and my brother. I was probably like 13. Yeah. This is before they had uh, assigned seats. Right, right. So you had to line up around the theater. So me and all my friends like dressed up like Jedi and had like lightsabers and everything. Oh, yeah. So, and um, I was too much of a little fucking insecure wimp to do that. I was scared. <laughs> we didn't get our asses kicked. It was awesome. But we waited all day because we got there early so we could get, you know, good seats. So we were just like lined up outside. It's May, so weather was good. Saw the movie at the time, thought it was fucking sick. No complaints for me when I actually when I saw the movie in theater, I was fine with it. Thought it was awesome. I was pumped. I just left being stoked on the fact that we saw Yoda with a lightsaber. The fact that we saw so many lightsabers, period. I was like, that was fucking sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Because the film ends very strongly, I think. So it was hard not to be stoked. It was just exciting and fun. And it's easy to remember that feeling of leaving the theater after that kind of intense final third of the film. I remember that too, thinking all the same things, just the lightsaber porn and and Yoda and all. But, you know, that was just, I remember feeling stoked. I do. I remember feeling like, wow, that was, that was crazy. Like the, the end of the movie was crazy. I'm pretty sure I posted on MySpace, just all caps, Yoda <laughs> lightsaber. 
<laughs> now we're kind of spoiled with uh, lightsaber fights because we've seen a million of them on Clone Wars and stuff like that. So like seeing Yoda with a lightsaber isn't as crazy anymore. But at the time, it was like literally everyone stood up and cheered. Like it was an insane yeah. moment seeing that yeah. at theater. That was a cool collective Star Wars fan moment. Because it was a surprise, right? Like, I don't, that wasn't yeah. in trailers and stuff. There's no way. No, yeah. um, no leaks. If I remember anything from seeing that movie, it was the feeling of everybody in the, in the theater being stoked that Yoda not only had a lightsaber and then was just a legitimate, like, sci-fi ninja with it. It was uh, yeah. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> After, like, limping in with his cane, yeah. you know, just, yeah. all yeah. right, I guess I'll muster the strength. <laughs> Something else I remember being super stoked on was seeing the seeds start to be planted in this movie for the look and feel of things in the original trilogy, whether it's the stormtrooper helmets or ships starting to kind of take shape. We're starting to see hints of like what would become an X-Wing, what would become a TIE fighter and so on. A lot more subtle in this one than episode three, where it really starts to take shape. But I love that the clone helmet was based on the Mandalorian helmet, but with hints of the Stormtrooper helmet. And that whole backstory is pretty sweet. Now, even better with the Clone Wars cartoons and everything. So lots of cool little shit in there. That's another thing that at the time felt amazing to see. You're, you're in the theater seeing the clones going, now I see how this takes shape and becomes Stormtroopers. Right. I do remember feeling awesome about it at the time. So there's that. Considering you know that, like, the stormtroopers and all these people wind up being, you know, technically working for the dark side, being dark side, you kind of know that, but I feel like it's really well done. The fact that you start to see, like, the Empire symbol on the yeah. Republic is really a cool thing because that's a piece of knowledge that you know that that symbol is the dark side, but... Right now, it's it's on the good guy side, and and you kind of yeah. are just waiting for it to turn. But that was a really good. Uh, I mean, it's beyond foreshadowing because at that point, you know what the Empire symbol is. But that was really cool. When you see Yoda, at least you know at the time when I first saw it, when you see Yoda kind of swoop in with all the clone troopers, you're like, oh man, that's crazy to see Yoda with a bunch of like essentially stormtroopers general Yoda yeah. um, coming in to save all the Jedi you know what I mean and you're just like you know some fucked up shit's gonna go down cause <laughs> right. everything seems cool but something's gonna happen really it's a dark film it's not as dark as episode 3 but the whole thing is fucking dark for a couple movies that are essentially dismissed by a lot of people as being for kids they are pretty fucking dark. And Lucas actually took a lot of inspiration from, and I didn't realize this until very recently. And I actually had to be told this because I'm a, apparently a fucking noob when it comes to film, even though I claim to be a film lover. There's a lot of film noir influence in this and direct film noir reference. I mean, stylistically, like the tone of the story itself and what he has the characters do. And then a lot of visual things like some lighting stuff and just like, Obi-Wan going to Kamino, and it's this planet that rains all the time. It's dark, vibey. It evokes that kind of old-school private investigator trope, voiceover, black-and-white vibes. He's walking the streets in the rain, and there's, like, the one street light, you <laughs> yeah. know, and he stops under it and fucking smokes a cigarette. Like, that kind of, like, film noir shit. That's what he was going for with the Kamino vibe, and you know, there's a lot of, like, Phoenician blind lighting where you see those, you know, the lines of light on people's faces. That's all pulled from old-school film noir stuff that Lucas came up on. 
Yeah, and that just the the Django fight with Obi Wan is, I mean, really basically black and white. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, yeah. everything besides Obi Wan is gray, black, and white. I would say besides maybe some blaster bolts or something like that, but that scene in general is ninety, probably above ninety percent black and white and gray. I've been told to watch this movie in uh, in black and white. Really? Yeah, change your settings to black and white. Watch the whole movie and get like that vibe because. It really is. It's a detective film, like from yeah. start to finish, like Obi-Wan, essentially when he gets the dart and goes to Dexter. Right, right. He's got a clue, right? And he's trying to figure things out. Then he goes to the library. That's just like those old detective stories. Exactly. You know? It's like, exactly. oh, I, I got a guy. I'm going to go meet up with so-and-so. Mm-hmm. And it's like a kind of a shady character who like, you know, like an informant. Like, okay, this guy's breaking some laws, but I'm going to get some information from him and not bust him. Right. Well, and it also starts with the whole good cop, bad cop vibe, too, where Obi-Wan wants to do everything by the books and procedure and follow the clues, and <laughs> and Anakin wants to just bust some heads, you know? <laughs> that's a good point. I never thought about <laughs> that, that. That's a straight-up film noir trope would be that sort of partners, the detectives. Yeah, know? yeah. Yeah, one of the most interesting parts of the of the film to me is Obi-Wan, his whole detective journey, trying to figure out what's happening with this secret army trying to figure out who's setting things up because they know at that point well i guess when he talks to dooku dooku tells him that there's a dark lord of the sith behind everything he ends up discovering that like in a full monologue yeah that's one of the things i really really love about this movie is is the detective undertones sick it's easy to miss that because he's trying to pull that off in this universe that we have all these other expectations for you know it's this sci-fi fantasy universe when you're aware of it and you and you read it differently, it's really cool and it plays and it actually makes the film, it really elevates the film, I think, to a, a higher level. But it's hard to pull off. He had a lot of challenges. He's a self, admittedly, more of like a technical guy and a story guy. The inside joke, he says it on himself. I'm just the fucking faster and more intense guy, mm-hmm. you know? Just uh, do it again, just faster and more intense. He had a lot of challenges. So... Well, apparently no one listened to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's two and a half hour long detective caper, so they were definitely not going faster and more intensely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It gives you a cool insight on, on the role of the Jedi, too, though. You know, showing kind of how they're given these tasks to step out into the galaxy and solve these capers. You know, you never really looked at them as yeah. cops or police policing the galaxy. They say it, that they're responsible for maintaining peace and justice in the galaxy, but this is a good insight into the council giving a, a Jedi master a, a task. You know, hey, we have this problem, we want you to solve it. And Check out the hook while my DJ revolves it. <laughs> <laughs> it has that kind of down the chain of command police station as you you know that i think also probably ties into that film noir stuff where like obi-wan is following orders and then and like like i said anakin just wants to bust heads and he's like the young right the young against the grain detective that you know get gets in trouble with his boss all the time that could be very broad like how do you maintain peace sometimes you got to bust some people up you know right. troublemakers you gotta you just gotta eliminate them so how do you maintain peace sometimes you might have to kill some people that's the way anakin took it the U.S. government would certainly agree with you on that. <laughs> <laughs> like we said, Lucas had some daunting expectations to meet. Some folks weren't as happy as others. So now let's take a moment and look at things maybe from a different angle. A certain point of view 
Many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. Okay, so it goes without saying, well, we already said it. So it goes with saying <laughs> that not everyone was pleased with this film. So just like episode one, we're going to skip disturbances in the forest. We're not going to have a dedicated gripe section. We will have an extended from a certain point of view section in lieu of that, though. It just doesn't need to be done. It's like, I think we've already started to find these cool elements that that actually build yeah. into a part, you know, that some of the parts are kind of greater than the film itself. One of the biggest fan criticisms is the casting of Anakin. One of the most common takes is that he's whiny. You hear this all the time. I remember Lucas responding specifically. I don't know if this was after episode two or three. He was saying how bummed he was for Hayden Christensen because he said straight up, he played this role perfectly, exactly as I wanted him to. If you don't like it, you don't like the character. Interesting. And I kind of don't disagree with that all that much. I think you could still play this type of character a little differently or maybe in a way that people would have vibed with more. But Kevin Smith actually had the best fucking quote ever. He said that, of course, you would find out in a backstory that the most evil motherfucker of all time was a whiny emo kid. Yeah, and he was. It makes sense on that level. And Luke, if you remember, was also pretty fucking whiny. He was. I mean, it runs in the family. His whining, we we tolerate a little more, but... Well, he was, but I I think it go, that does go to your point of playing the part a little differently. Do you look yeah. back upon A New Hope in Luke's whiny phase and feel the same way that you feel about Anakin's whiny phase? You, you, you don't say yes, because you'd be lying. I know you, and I know you'd be lying. <laughs> this is not true. But I, I was going to say, like... I think what I agree with about that the most and and where I would find it in in a constructive criticism type of way is I find it really hard watching the film to have the love story be super believable for me because of the way that aspect of his character was played. If there was some way for him to be this sort of unsettled, uneasy soul you know that was searching for the balance between the light and dark inside of him which i think that's what they were going for i just find it hard to believe that the queen of of this planet who is this super important political force in the republic falls madly in love with the way anakin's character was played i'm kind of like stealing the show here i apologize but that's just that's my thoughts on anakin is whiny I have a response to that on the why Padme fell in love with him level, if no one else does. I don't have a response to that, but I have a good little thing about male Skywalkers and female Skywalkers. But you can go ahead, Adam. I would say that, number one, just because Padme is this important figure, this powerful figure on her home planet, once queen, now senator, doesn't mean she necessarily makes the right decisions or is attracted to the right type of people on the romantic level. And there could be something about her personality where she just, she gravitates toward that wounded duckling vibe and whether that's the part of her personality that makes her a compassionate leader, but shitty in the romance department, or that's just her personality period, family stuff, who knows? Like him being so emo and so like prone to mood swings and all that kind of shit Maybe that's just what she defaults to as a person. Well, it's a classic thing for any relationship, right? That feeling of wanting to fix someone, you know, and, and right. the idea that you can't fix anyone else. You can only fix yourself. So I, I hear that. I just think 
the two faces that he was supposed to be playing, there being one side of him that she was that, that that I would believe she was attracted to. And then when he has his like moments of breakdowns and you know his his moments of weakness and whiny fits, it would be believable to be like, oh yeah, she thinks she can get that out of him. But I just don't I don't think it was directed in a way that showed both sides of that well. Maybe she just had a crush on him. Maybe she was just like, this guy's hot. I like him. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But I would say to the point of uh, Skywalkers being whiny, I would say the men on the Skywalker side are the whiny ones and the females are the not whiny ones. Because think about it. Shmi Skywalker, not whiny at all. No. Leia, completely badass getting things done, doesn't complain once. Yeah. Every single Skywalker male that we know of is very whiny, starting yeah. with Anakin and ending with Ben. Yeah. Or I would say Kylo, maybe not so much Ben, but the whiny Skywalker thing is fully on the the male side of the uh, spectrum. You're not wrong. Yeah, I, I think this is really cool. What we just the discussion we just went through because Adam, you just brought something to light to me that I never really thought about, and I love that about doing this podcast and talking about these movies, especially these, which are challenging for me to like stay positive and talk about, which we're really trying to do here. The idea that you know, from a storytelling standpoint, Padme had this side of her that felt like she could fix Anakin. The reason she was so in love with him is because she wanted to fix him. She wanted to stop this this wild streak he had, this broken, unsettled young man in him. She wanted to settle that and fix it. So at its core, it's there in the story, you know, and I think his intentions were in the right place. Let's not forget, too, that these are kids. Yeah. You know, if Anakin's 19 and Padme's 24, those are children, basically. Yeah. So who knows how if they know how to control their emotions and whatnot. So children, basically, falling in love. Yeah. If you asked anyone that knows me, though, at 19, I totally had my head completely on my shoulders, and I didn't complain about shit. I was just like... <laughs> Every, I was, oh, dude, that was perfect too. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting worse as time goes on. That's, that's for sure. I peaked in '94. Yeah. So, not to keep going down any deeper on the Anakin subject, but this is legitimate. I think Anakin does have some problematic behavior <laughs> in this film, and this is something that people weren't recognizing in the early 2000s, but it's clear as day now. And there's some dialogue that I can read here. If you want to read Anakin, I'll read Padme. I love this. Oh. I love this. Here we go. <laughs> yes. Okay. So the fireside scene at Padme's home where she apparently just came from like an S&M convention. <laughs> <laughs> Anakin says with like the most excruciating tone in his voice, he's just like in complete fucking agony. As he says here, he says, from the moment I met you, all those years ago, not a day has gone by when I haven't thought of you. And now that I'm with you again, I'm in agony. The closer I get to you, the worse it gets. The thought of not being with you, I can't breathe. I'm haunted by the kiss that you should never have given me. My heart is beating, hoping that kiss will not become a scar. You are in my very soul, tormenting me. What can I do? I will do anything you ask. He pauses. She says nothing. If you are suffering as much as I am, please tell me. I can't. We can't. It's not possible. <laughs> Anything is possible, Padme. Listen to me. No, you listen. We live in a real world. Come back to it. You're studying to become a Jedi. I'm, 
I'm a senator. If you follow your thoughts through a conclusion, it will take us to a place we cannot go, regardless of the way we feel about each other. Then you do feel something. I will not let you give up your future for me. You're asking me to be rational. That is something I know I cannot do. Believe me, I wish I could just wish away my feelings, but I can't. And then it goes on from there. And so the, the, the concept here is when she says no, no means no, bro. Yeah. 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 <laughs> He's just putting a lot on her, including, you know, this line about I'm haunted by the kiss that you should never have given me. Like, it's your fault. You kissed me, even though I've been like, my goodness, oh just my God. fully creeped up on you since the day we were reunited. <laughs> like, come on, bro. Talk about lines that you can write down and cannot say. That entire first like stanza from Anakin is ridiculous. <laughs> That's rough. Yeah. It is yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's very predatory feeling. And I don't think this is dialogue that would pass these days. No. Well, do you think Wedding Crashers could come out in 2020? <laughs> Fuck no, no. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> There's no way. Yeah, so. It has to go back to the idea we talked about with the Phantom Menace and some of the issues that are real with that film, whether, you know, this was an oversight. I I don't think that George Lucas would have wanted to paint a picture of a predatory male in in the character. You know, I think he was playing passion and he wanted to show this young dude who had like this insatiable crush on this girl who wasn't reciprocating his feelings. And that played into his turn to the dark side because he was so frustrated with, But it came out a little bit rapey, and that's unfortunate. But on the page, there's no getting around. I'm haunted by the kiss that you should never have given me. It doesn't matter who reads that. He's still putting it on her, even though he is. It's terrible. I'm not saying it's not terrible. I'm just saying that it's unfortunate that we have to have these conversations of like, so were they? Is it they're they're just putting racism in these films, or they're just like (laughs) where they're just preying on women in these films? I hate that we have to have the conversation because it, it feels just like oversight. Like, come on, man. Yeah. What were you thinking leaving that in the script, you know? And almost the worst one is the line when they're waiting that, you know, they've got her set as like bait basically for the assassin. And he and Obi-Wan are talking outside of her room and he says, I can sense everything that's going on in that room. <sighs> and they have cameras in the room as well. He's like, she covered up the cameras. Oh, yeah. When he goes... I don't think she liked me spying on her or something like that. Oh, dude, it's <laughs> cringy. It's exactly. rough. Ugh. What were they thinking, dude? I think the issue is, and I think you guys talked about this before, is like George Lucas's like emotional disconnectedness and how he just yeah, yeah. doesn't understand. So he's writing this part. He's like, all right, I need to write something that's like from the heart. This guy's in love with this girl, right? And this is yeah. what he writes because he just doesn't know an appropriate thing to write. Right. Well, especially a dude at his age at this time writing for people who are supposed to be 19 and 24. Yeah, he's like, okay, I've got these kids in love. I need to write this thing. And it's really yeah. awkward. <laughs> but the concept of the unrequited love, which is like a classic, almost Shakespearean trope in playwriting and screenwriting and whatever else, you know, that's all there. It just like needed the Kasdans to write it instead of George Lucas writing it. And then it right. would have been good. <laughs> I'm going to read one more little creepy thing, and then I actually have a pretty decent response to this, or a decent excuse for Anakin, even though you ultimately can't make excuses for some of this shit, if this was real people. Back in Padme's apartment, this is maybe prior to the scene that we just read, Anakin says, I am grown up. You said it yourself. 
and he just stares at her with this pretty rapey kind of stare. <laughs> and Padme says, please don't look at me like that. Yep. Like really gives him like a stern, like bro. And he goes, why not? And she goes, it makes me feel uncomfortable. And then he looks at her with an even creepier look and says, yeah. sorry, my lady. Like the this smile, smart, the, the creepiest look ever. No, it's terrifying. It's too much. Yeah. Like three seconds too long, like editing wise. Yeah. You know, like right. just letting it hang there. Ugh. Hurts. But here's the only thing that helps me not be totally offended by this. This is kind of on the Jedi. I mean, they're t- teaching fucking abstinence only education, essentially. It's like, yeah. <laughs> you can't love anyone. You can't bang. Instead, become an awkward kid who doesn't really hang with other kids and really doesn't know how to have relationships. Right. It's not like he's had a girlfriend before. It's not like he's had a conversation about his feelings with a girl before. So it's not that far-fetched. It's the first girl he ever met when you think about it, right? Yeah. Like, think back to Jake Lloyd, Anakin. That's the first girl he ever saw, probably, besides his mother. He is unskilled. (laughs) Unskilled in the ways of that force. (laughs) That actually makes a lot of sense. But explain to me why Obi-Wan is so smooth with the ladies. (laughs) (laughs) about that? Where'd he get it? I'll tell you a quote that my dad told me. He went to uh, like an all-boys Catholic high school that was taught completely, entirely by priests back in the day. And in sex ed, a kid raised his hand and was like, "Uh, Father, so how do you know about this stuff if you're a priest? And the priest was like, son, I wasn't always a priest. (laughs) Yeah, we don't know if Obi-Wan got snatched up when he was two years old or three years old or if he was the prom king. We don't know. Out there laying pipe across the galaxy. Yeah, we don't know. Moving along from a certain point of view, there was actually a lot more CGI in this one than episode one, and folks were not pleased. But some of the things that, that kind of bothered people were done so much better in this one. Like Jar Jar actually looks twice as good, at least. The scene in when they first had that kind of like little sit down in Padme's apartment, he's wearing those formal cloaks that formal kind of dress wear or whatever the fabric on it is kind of legit as he's moving he's walking right alongside anakin and obi-wan and just the dynamics like whatever simulation they used to get that fabric to move right matched the real life stuff pretty well i mean there's a lot of stuff that they you know they bit off more than they could chew like i think dex in the diner doesn't he looks like a straight playstation game but (laughs) some of the other stuff is really impressive for the time Definitely. It's hit or miss. Some of it, all of it is mind-blowing to think about what they accomplished at the time with the technology they had on the scale that they made all three of these films. Yeah. But it begs the question of how much of it was necessary and how much of it was sort of indulgent, you know? Yeah. For, for me, the, like, the individual things, like CGI specifically, isn't what bothers me. It's the overload, which which is from a certain point of view what we're talking about here as a criticism that was pretty widely agreed upon. I I do fall into that camp. It, it's the overload of it. It's just like constant, like every environment, every room, every cityscape, every scene with the clones, Camino, all, everything was just so over the top and so overloaded with CGI that it was like it began to feel unrealistic. You know, it, it lost that charm of the original trilogy that had this like whoa i i believe i'm in in this other galaxy and i'm on this spaceship or i'm in this cantina it became this sort of fantastical alternate 
reality that, I don't know, it just, it was overloaded, I felt like. That's my two cents on the CGI. I think this film still has more practical sets and props than most people probably think or give it credit for. Just don't even realize like how much shit was practical. Pretty much every room that they're in, aside from the stuff in Camino, is a physical space. They built out that apartment, all those interiors. But it's easy to look at it and think, well, I know this thing is fake, so all of this must be fake too. This is just a selfish opinion. I think that it would have, I understand, we talked about this already, the idea that everything was very grand and lush and curvy and shiny, and then it devolved into the look and feel of the empire. And, and, but personally, I think it would have been way cooler if it, everything was just always like that. Like the Republic, everything, the Senate, it all still could have been gritty and, Star Wars feeling, and I just don't. I just don't think it landed. Again, the idea was right. We need to make it look like we were in this grand time, this era of complacency at the height of the Republic before we crash into this dark, terrible age. I get it. I just don't think it landed properly. I definitely agree with you on all of that, um, but I, I guess I can give kind of like my argument on the other side of it. Essentially, when I watch these films, I kind of treat them as hearing a story through a different medium. So I would compare it to like reading a Star Wars story in a comic book or in a novel. So the prequels to me are a completely different medium than the original trilogy. And I think that's kind of what George was going for. So for me, I've been able to like... I guess the CGI didn't bother me then and it still really doesn't bother me much to this day because it's just an artist painting a picture with a different medium, essentially, to me. Um, So I can take myself out of it in that way in order to keep myself in the story, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah, that's a great point. I've never really thought about it like that. That's really smart. And that being said, honestly, Camino is one of my favorite Star Wars, like, backdrops uh, out of everything. I, I just love that whole scene. And that, that kind of is very similar to the whole like film noir detective thing. And that's part of the reason why I like it. I just like the design as well. I like the character design. I like the rain, I like the planet. And I like the, uh, you know, where they live, like these constructions coming out of just a sea planet where they uh, are making a bunch of clones. Yeah. It's just really cool. It's yeah. like eerie. It's creepy. It's weird. It's just really imaginative on the part of, what's his name? Doug Chang. Doug uh, Chang, the, yeah. You know, the design guy, George Lucas too. So it's one way to look at it. I think it really says a lot to, you know, you have something like the Mandalorian bringing in like the doctor who is a Camino cloner doctor. They have the same insignia on their arm as the cloners in on Camino, And you don't think that that, looks bad or is cheesy or whatever and like you're actually adding to you're adding depth to Camino through the Mandalorian and adding depth to that era which things like Mandalorian and Clone Wars and whatever else is so it really does show our point that we make over and over is that execution it plays a big part into this and I think luck too I think luck in the original trilogy played a big yeah. role into into things looking good and being perceived a certain way whatever but 
you have people like Favreau and Filoni right now doing The Mandalorian and Clone Wars and stuff that are really adding depth to and like I don't uh, retconning is not really the right word, but they're adding to this era and it makes you go back and like it more, which is great. When I see Hayden Christensen on screen, I like him more now because of Anakin in the Clone Wars animated yeah. series. Like, yeah. To me, it mm -hmm. just adds depth. And, and sure, if you want to like it, you're going to find reasons to like it. If you want to hate it, you're going to find reasons to hate it. But when I'm watching Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith and I'm watching Anakin and being like, this dude was Ahsoka's master this is insane like these super heavy scenes with anakin and ahsoka growing up together and and learning together we're getting to see that in animation but we don't see it on screen and obviously we know behind the scenes that all was created afterwards but they're figuring out a way to add depth to the very first problematic star wars era and to me, that's great because I think they're doing a great job with it. It's making me feel this nostalgia for something I didn't necessarily grow up with. I grew up with the originals. I was a late teenager, early 20s for the prequels. And yeah, they hit less to me, but they hit more now because of things like The Mandalorian and Clone Wars. Right. Dude, I think that approach, which is quite the opposite of how most franchises are handled, how most studios look at original content or um, earlier content, most studios, like, look at all of the DC movies. They just keep rebooting over and over and over again. But I think just the amount of respect for what George created 40 years ago, well, and, and probably the contract with Disney, let's be honest, <laughs> has, like, them on this, this path to, rather than just, like, leveling all of that old stuff and starting over... They're instead creating stuff around it, like you said, that makes the experience of watching those films better. Yeah. And yeah, they did wipe out all of the EU stuff. But in terms of the things on screen that we have from this saga, they're just enhancing it. And I think it's working. I think it's great because the fucking the reboot trend is just it's too much, man. If there's one thing I could say that works in favor of Star Wars fandom and fans is that Star Wars on screen is painted with a fairly broad brush. So mm -hmm. you get to you get to go in as a Star Wars creator, writer, whatever, and fill in those gaps. And that's Star Wars like business model. You you put something on screen and like it's enjoyable and it's cool to look at and People like it, and then you get to go in and with a more detailed brush and create more of a universe. And I think, to me, that draws me to it. Like, of course, things like watching Lord of the Rings for the first time. I'd never read the book, sorry. But watching Lord of the Rings for the first time, it's perfect. Marvel Cinematic Universe, mostly linear storytelling. It's great. It's super easy. And, you know, we, we covered this on the last episode, but the Star Wars timeline's all over the place, and I think it's going to always be all over the place. And that draws me in. I like to be entertained and then find out more. I don't necessarily need it to be the other way around, where I know everything, and then I go and watch a movie about what I know already. It's fun. It's a little bit of a mystery to me, and, I, and that draws me personally to it. Same. Nick, you've used a cool word. In some of our discussions, you've used the word mining, and I think that's yeah. a really cool thing when you talk about guys like Favreau and The Mandalorian, how they're going back to this problematic time in the Star Wars legacy, and they're mining it for meaningful pieces to the puzzle. Mm -hmm. 
and, and using them in a very constructive way. And I think that all ties into what you just talked about, which is super cool, how it makes you appreciate it from a new perspective of like, wow, okay, so that's how Camino is tied into all this because mm-hmm. a great mind in our current time has decided that that's how it's going to be connected. And I'm, I'm on board for that. You know, I'm going to yeah. enjoy the story they keep unfolding. Yeah. And that's a point that I like to bring up a lot with, cause it seems like when the, the sequels were coming out, there were a lot of diehard, you know, prequelists. And I always like to bring up the point that I don't think the prequels became as accepted until the Clone Wars. Because when the Clone Wars kind of started filling in those holes and like giving you the character development that you didn't get from the films, then they all started to make a lot more sense. People kind of forgot that, you know, the prequels were kind of hated for such a long time. And I started, you know, I started to see a lot of people hate on the the sequels and defend the prequels to death suddenly, uh, which was very strange to me. But I think at least for me, without the character development and a lot of those holes filling in, like Nick said, from the supplemental material, I guess you'd call it, the films aren't strong. And, it, and it's nice to, to go back and watch the prequels now and like know why things are happening, especially as an example, um, the um, Sifo-Dyas backline story. You know, you have no idea what they're talking about. Before we get into actually explaining what happened... The quick and dirty is that this former Jedi, Sifo-Dyas, who is supposed to be dead at this point, went to Kamino, ordered a million fucking clones for the clone army. Supposedly, he was pushing for this back in the day, but the Jedi Council was like, no. The Republic was like, no, whatever. So he went rogue and ordered all these clones. And then when Obi-Wan shows up there after following the trail on his little detective journey, they just like open the door like, oh, hey, you're a Jedi. Come on in. Yeah, we got all your clones ready. And he's like, what? And then he goes back and tells Yoda and the council. And then they're like, hmm, well, like the fucking principal from 21 Jump Street. Yeah. A kid died the other day from drugs and nobody, including me, is doing anything about it. That's weird, guys. He's just like, that's weird. <laughs> then they just take the clones and use them. It's like. You go in your parents' bedroom as a kid and you find a machine gun under the bed and then somebody tries to break into your house and it's like, no, it's cool. I got my machine gun. Forget about the fact that your parents had a machine gun under their bed. You're just like, no, I got it. No, I got this under control. You know what I mean? I do. I do. You're just watching it like, what what are you talking about? Who is this guy? So Nick and Ashi shed some light on some more of the backstory. Well, what I know is Dooku and Sifo-Dyas were boys back in the day. There is an audio-only book called Jedi Lost that is focused around Dooku, and Sifo-Dyas is all over it. And uh, really, the nuts and bolts of it is that Sifo-Dyas had a vision about everything in the prequels happening and commissioned a clone army. And because Sifo-Dyas and Dooku were boys... You could see where that connection goes, where Sifo-Dyas dies at some point, I think at least a decade before Phantom Menace and Dooku turns. So the the clone army knowledge Dooku has because of Sifo-Dyas. So Sifo-Dyas left the Jedi Order, but has he turned? I don't think he left, did he? I mean, 
Okay, he was already kind of going behind the council's back, but he 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 didn't hadn't left the order yet. Right, right. Then he died, unrelated. Right, Nick. Uh, not only do I not know, I don't know if it's out there at all. Okay, I don't know if that information's out there. I remember reading somewhere he died in some kind of crash, which may have been set up by Sidious. I'm not. I'm not really sure. All these little points like get so confusing. Spoiler. Harrison Ford was flying the plane that he crashed. (laughs) 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 But I think the whole thing with that Ryan was talking about with the, um, well, or no, that you were talking about, it's like, they found these clones and they're like, Oh, this is bad, but we should use them. Right. (laughs) Right. I think that the clone wars kind of smooths that over a little bit. Yeah. If that makes sense, because it shows their conflict. Whereas like the actual film itself does not, but, the uh, Clone Wars series is able to show the conflict where they're like, eh, it's kind of messed up. We're using these clones, but we have these bad people we need to fight and we wouldn't be able to fight them without the clones. So it's a necessary evil. So what was sifo like, what was his motivation? Where did, where did it, where did he get his order from to order, order the clones from Palpatine? That I don't know. I know that he had a vision, but I don't remember. That's the uh, tricky part for me. That, that audio book was boring as fuck. Just I l- literally did not hold my attention. <laughs> the tricky part for me, I still to this day don't understand. I understand from a, a zoom out and look at Palpatine's plan. He needed an army and somehow he fits into this story of, of creating this army. But to just drop this new name in the story and then have us all just be like, yeah, as kind of as like Adam said, it's just like, oh, yeah, well, like, cool. There, here's a machine gun. I guess I'll shoot it. Mm-hmm. Where did he get his orders from? You know, where was this like, all right, I'm still on the council and you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to hop over to uh, Camino to this afternoon. It's like going to Walmart to get right. like or going to going to Costco to get some clones toilet paper in the pandemic I'm gonna I'm gonna go grab some clones and, and if you're gonna get that many clones you're gonna have to go to Costco or Sam's Club we know that's that that's what I'm saying like, I'm gonna panic buy like COVID-19 style and order as many clones as I can like where did that come from and I don't think we have the answer to that necessarily even still but it's interesting how glossed over it is in the story of like in the film where it's just like that's why the clones are there yeah producer Kurt uh, is raising his hand with some information and Drew just texted me something as well. Um, don't know if this is official canon or not, but the concept was Sifo Diaz, his huge power was the gift of foresight, like major compared to everybody else. He knew this was going to happen. All of this was going to happen before it happened. He kind of went rogue, called on the Kaminoans to build the army without the Jedi's approval and wackiness ensues. He doesn't let everybody know that he did that, but he knows they're going to need him later on. Okay. Right. And I think he was kind of looked at as like a conspiracy theorist. He was having these visions that the Jedi were going to need an army to back them up. And he goes to the council and says, hey, we're going to need this army. We should commission a clone army or whatever it is. And they said, no, like we're keepers of the peace. We don't need an army. You know, we're pacifists, whatever it is. He believed it so much that, you know, he went behind their back to do it anyway. That makes a lot of sense, and it goes to what Nick said at, at, in one of our discussions about how uh, we we wish that you didn't have to dig that deep to understand some of these plot lines. There's like there's a level of nerd that's acceptable, and then there's just a level of confusion. You know what I mean? Right. And it's 18 years later, and I'm still having trouble keeping this plot line straight. Right. Exactly. 
You know what I mean? So it, that kind of speaks to it as well. And I'm a little unclear too if Sifo-Dyas or Dooku erased the planet of Kamino or the system, whatever it is, from the Jedi archives. Because when Obi-Wan goes to look for it, it's just missing. Right. It's just deleted. So I don't know. It, it, I know they make a point to say that a Jedi master must have deleted it, basically. So I'm unclear if it was Dooku or sifo at that point. Dooku. Dooku? Okay. Oh, it is Dooku. Okay. And then Jango Fett says that he was hired by Tyrannus, who is Dooku. Right. So Dooku was in on it, too, somehow or another. But Dooku also hired some hitmen to kill Sifo-Dyas, apparently. Oh, okay. Shot down his, well, his ship. Right, but now as we zoom out in this discussion, you can look at the connection and how it all actually lines up, and it does make sense, and it's great. It's great to talk it out, figure it out, and do the research. It's just unfortunate that this huge plot point, it, it's kind of like the whole Immaculate Conception in The Phantom Menace, just being like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I wasn't a dad. I just, yep, yeah, I just... Had a baby, you know? No big deal, though. And that's kind of how that played in that film. This was, like, this huge story point of, like, oh, where did the army of millions of soldiers that became stormtroopers that imposed the will of the Empire come from? It's just this little passing, fleeting moment. But if you look at this audiobook that connects Sifo-Dyas and Dooku, you know that Dooku knew Sifo-Dyas had this vision. You knew that he commissioned the army. So Dooku gets rid of Sifo-Dyas probably in whatever conspiracy theory his crash or his death is, you know, the circumstances of his death. And now Dooku goes to Palpatine and says, hey, bro, I know where the army is and we're off to the races. That all tracks and makes sense to me. So it, it would have actually been pretty easy because they did do reshoots quite a bit. It would have been easy to just throw one line of dialogue in for Yoda to just explain like... The visions. Sifo-Dyas... Yeah, he had this vision. We didn't agree with it. He apparently did it. So his vision must have been valid. This must be our destiny, the, like the, the path, whatever. Like it's clouded by the dark side, but okay, we're going to do this because it's not truly right. out of nowhere. Right. That could have justified it. That's all it would have taken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, hey, Frank, get in front of your mic. Yeah, we got some lines for Yoda. Okay, we're done. Thanks. It's as easy yeah. as that. I've heard criticism that the very idea of Django calling Boba his son, even though he's a clone, is kind of like weird and fucked up. And you know, he's not your son, he's a fucking clone. Two things. I'll just like say my piece and you guys can chime in if you want. One, he raises him. He's his fucking dad. It doesn't matter if it's a dog or if it's an adopted kid or a clone. If you raise someone, you are their parent. If you parent them, you are their parent. And secondly, Clones are actually not these like identical beings that have the same thoughts and everything. Like the clones of science fiction have nothing like are so far from what clones actually are. Like it turns out that twins that gestate in the same womb and come out will look more similar to each other than clones will because the gestation period is so critical and how you look and all the other different traits that you come out with. So. Yeah, he's from his exact same DNA, but that doesn't mean he's exactly the same person. So I think this whole thing is just an uninformed opinion by whoever the hell I heard say it. It's never bothered me. Like you said, pet, adopted child, still a parent. I never thought it was even that weird. I mean, they're cloning you. Like, yeah, I want to raise one myself. 
whatever. I think of all of the stuff we've talked about that gets kind of convoluted and confusing in the storyline, that one was actually pretty well laid out. So I don't understand why there's a point of contention there at all. Like <laughs> right. in the yeah. story, it was like he asked for a, a child. He asked, you know, he asked, which tracks fine to me of he wanted to raise a son, but he's alone in the world as a, as a Mandalorian or a bounty hunter or whatever he is. So it's weird to call it like a, a pet, you know, but like, that's kind of what it is. He like needed a companion. Yeah. And <laughs> it's uh, that that's not confusing to me at all. I don't like, yeah. Like, and, and I feel like the bond between the two of them would have totally been strong enough. They explained it very well that they didn't put the, the aging genes or, you know, however yeah, they yeah. do that in the clones to make them grow mm-hmm. faster and accelerated growth or whatever they call it. So he was raised from infancy to the age he is when Django is killed in front of him. That bond would be strong enough to create a Boba Fett in my mind. I think that was well explained. I don't, no problem there for me. And there's no Mrs. Fett either. Yeah. So if <laughs> yeah. I'm, if I'm single, a single dude who wants a kid and I meet some cloners, I'm just making a little nick. That's it. <laughs> just let me get one more. Just one more. <laughs> well, let's get into some fun shit. Some more fun shit. This is all fun, but this is extra fucking nerd level. Let's get into the Den of Antiquities. And by the way, we still don't have an intro for this. So if anyone listening has some ideas, put that shit together and send it to us. We'll use it. Wait a second. I have a really cool thing that I just found out about. Den of Antiquities is... Doc Ondar's spot on Galaxy's Edge. Do you know, I know we did an episode about Solo already, but there's an Easter egg where on Dryden Voss's yacht, Kira says, and I paraphrase because I forget because I'm old, but she says, are you paying attention to Doc Ondar? It's like this really fleeting thing like that has to do with Galaxy's Edge and, and, and Batu, which is crazy because so cool. we, I know like we talked so sweet. Yeah, yeah. So party. he's he's there somewhere out of uh, you know, not on screen. But that's there's that's now two at least two Galaxy's Edge Easter eggs that are in Solo, which is amazing. And I just found that off of somebody else watching Solo Love with that. subtitles on. Because I know I we mentioned L3 says Black Spire, but uh, uh-huh. I had no idea that Kira says uh, or mentions Doc Ondar. That's sick. Maybe we should change the segment to Doc Ondar's, and there's our soundbite. <laughs> there you go. Did you got you guys saw the uh, Dryden Voss cameo today? No. What? In Clone Wars? I'm, dude, I'm so oh, far you're, behind. You're ahead of us. Is he you're in there? Dude, I watched it and I, okay. I missed it. It's not a spoiler. Okay. It's just a, okay. just a little little bite. That's a spoiler. It was fucking awesome. The whole episode. Our podcast <laughs> is a spoiler. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we just need a big red fucking banner across <laughs> the cover art that says spoiler. <laughs> Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, Den of Antiquities. This is some shit that I think we should do in more episodes. The kind of casting what ifs. Other people who audition for the roles. Casting legends is what I'm calling it. There's going to be some cool stuff with regards to that in the original trilogy for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Kurt Russell. I know that much for Han Solo. So Anakin Skywalker, the following actors auditioned, straight up auditioned for Anakin Skywalker. Not just like 
yo, consider me for the role, bro. I don't read. Just, you know, if I get it, let me know. I don't read. All of these people auditioned. Misha Collins, uh, he's on Supernatural. Colin Hanks, Tom Hanks' son. Eric Christian Olsen, he was in Dumb and Dumberer. Eric Von Detten, he's the voice of Sid in Toy Story. But some other stuff. Hmm. Chris Klein, I think best known for American Pie. Jonathan Brandis from Outside Providence and Neverending Story 2. Joshua Jackson from Dawson's Creek. James Vanderbeek, also from Dawson's Creek. Varsity Blues, bro. Varsity Blues, there you go. And I would say Joshua Jackson's from Fringe, for all those Fringe fans out there. there you Joshua go. Jackson, <laughs> also a Mighty Ducks guy. Oh, yep. True, true. Here's where it really starts to get, the brain starts to swell. <laughs> I can't even, I can't, dude, I can't. <laughs> all of the following, all the next one, two, three, four, five, would have would have been great. Ryan Phillippe actually plays a great creeper. Yeah. In uh, what do you call it? What was the the cool intentions? Yes. <laughs> also, a movie that doesn't come out in twenty twenty. Correct. Yeah. Hey guys, let's place a bet on when I can bang my cousin or whatever that movie is about. It's <laughs> yeah. so bad. It's so bad. But I mean, if he's going for that fucking creeper vibe, that's your boy, um, Paul Walker. R.I.P. R.I.P. He was a sweet dude. Top three is legendary. Sure. Christian Bale. This is unreal. This is this fact you're dropping on us all right now is unbelievable. <laughs> Fucking Christian Bale as Anakin Skywalker. Dude. 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 Oh god. <laughs> what did What did he done up until that point? What, he was in like Newsies or something, right? Yeah, he was. It doesn't matter because we all know what he became. So fuck. That's why he would have been good, though, right? Because they wanted kind of a relatively unknown guy to do it. Yeah. But, you know, we know now that he's a great actor. Yeah. I was going to say, I want to go look it up. Like, oh, what, what had Christian Bale done? And then I'm like, yeah, what would be the point of that? It doesn't matter what he had done. <laughs> we already know what the potential of him playing this was based on his current filmography. Right. So. I want to see the tape. <laughs> Dude. God, I hope that's out there somewhere. The next one has, by the way, just spoiler. The next one has my, my vote. I, I just don't understand how this isn't what happened. Carry on. Yeah. Heath Ledger auditioned ah! <laughs> to be Annika Skywalker. Man, I... Uh, what? Like, what I, I, What do you say? Like, Well, first of all, we have to say that this is just... We're just being mean. Because if Hayden Christensen listens to this, we're just being... We're being assholes. But... I mean, I'm allowed to have an opinion, right, about one of the most legendary characters in a film saga that is the most important thing in my life. Heath Ledger would have crushed this role, dude. Dude, I mean, Hayden Christensen himself would admit, like, uh, yeah, that would have been great. <laughs> right. So Christian Bale, we talked about him. I mean, he is an Academy Award winning actor. Heath Ledger is also an Academy Award winning actor. But if, just in my mind at that time, thinking about the young Heath Ledger, he would have, I just think he would have brought the right stuff, dude. I, I don't know. Yeah. As much as, as much as Christian Bale is legendary, I just don't know if he actually would have been the right thing for the role at the time. I think Heath Ledger was just, dude, man, I don't want to know. This is like information. I don't want to know. <laughs> he had only done TV pretty much to this point. So he was just like Christian Bale, pretty much an unknown. And it would have still fit the criteria. And Heath Ledger was like, what, around like the 10 things I hate about you mm -hmm. kind of time was around now. Same year. Yeah. 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 So he had probably shot that. And it's the same thing. You look at you look at his filmography at that time and you're probably not 
doesn't blow your socks off, but now we know. Right. Like we're looking for someone that plays a super conflicted young man that doesn't know whether, you know, whether he should turn to the light or the dark. And then we remember this guy won an Academy Award for playing the Joker, you know, 15 years later. I hate to be a bummer, but you got to remember that, you know, Natalie Portman is a great actress. Yeah. 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 That's a great point, Ashi, for sure. We talk about how these films were direct, written and directed by Lucas, and we know the difference, right? We as fans, we all know the difference in the ones that were yeah. and the ones that weren't. You have a talent like Natalie Portman, but that's what we see, that it has to be a result of that, you know? Yeah. But it also, we should, you know, on a positive note, look at George Lucas, his vision, you know, the things he see. He, he saw Natalie Portman from a mile away and said, yeah, you're not that wrong, young man. kid is a ripper. He saw the professional and was like, yep, that's, she's unreal. So he has the right ideas. It's just. Yep. And, dude, and like this, this is early days of full green screen action before they realized, okay, if we're going to live in these worlds that you need to act straight from your imagination, it's going to be seasoned theater actors that can pull that off. Yeah. Right. Or, or normal actors are going to know that, okay, I might end up in this green screen movie. So I need to work on that part of my craft. Right. So this was before all that. So Natalie Portman, despite being a genius actor, still grappled with the same challenges as someone maybe not as naturally talented. Yeah, and you said theater actors too, which I assume Ian McDermott is. Yes. For sure. Yeah, so that it makes sense why he gives a pretty solid performance all around. The best performance of the whole prequel trilogy is, is him. Yeah. Honestly, though, Ian McGregor, yeah. not too shabby. Not perfect, not, yeah. but not too shabby. There's a reason he's revered as, you know, if you if at this point you ask me what I think about first when I say Obi-Wan, I say Ewan McGregor. Absolutely. Yeah. He's just lovable yeah, it's, in the role. Interesting. All right, so the last one on this list. Holy fuck. Here it comes. <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio auditioned to play Anakin Skywalker. That's so insane. That's so insane. Fucking Leonardo DiCaprio. I backed that one the hardest. You think dude. he was too big? Yeah. One thing to think about was he he already did two years after Titanic. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So you, I mean, you have you have to think Lucas didn't want everybody walking in the theater in their mind saying the word Jack as many times as Kate Winslet <laughs> says the word Jack in Titanic, which is like <laughs> fourteen hundred times. <laughs> that had to have played into it. Which is why Heath Ledger is the one, I'm telling you. Like, I back Leo for sure, but out of all those choices, the ball was dropped when Heath Ledger was did not get a call back. Yeah. Heath Ledger would make the most sense, but I think purely just seeing it, I think I'd want to see Leo. Yeah, same. Well, I want to see you know, that. All outside in influences aside, I, I, it would have just been cool to see. But yeah. yeah, I definitely want to see that. I know, I know George Lucas kept going back to this reference of James Dean as what he wanted Anakin to look like. So if you go back to this list and think of just kind of like dirty blonde, blue eyes kind of guy, maybe Heath Ledger didn't fit in there. Leo might have been too big. So Hayden Christensen apparently looked the best with Natalie Portman. And if... We know George Lucas the way we think we know. He's going to be stuck in his ways and be like, no, I want someone who looks like James Dean or has that James Dean vibe. Right. And uh-huh. uh, yeah. the little bit of Attack of the Clones behind the scenes that I watched, Hayden Christensen is smooth as hell behind the scenes. It's really funny to watch him be this kind of smooth Lando-esque 
guy. He has way more confidence behind the scenes than he does on screen. It's very interesting. And even the chemistry with Natalie Portman when they're just laughing between scenes, like out in the field where the really awkward shit happens when he fakes <laughs> like he got killed by that giant bug weird hippo thing yeah and they're literally they're rolling, yeah, rolling in the fields and he's like jealous of her high school boyfriend yeah <laughs> the behind the scenes stuff they're just laughing together they're vibing like it's it's a good vibe it's I mean, same yeah. thing that's the thing it's like they had chemistry maybe in the auditions but maybe it's the green screen who knows and dude and hayden christensen again to his credit a handful of other movies that he's been in even ones that were not critically acclaimed like uh, Jumper. I actually fucking love that movie, Jumper. And I think he's good in it. It's one of those movies that's like, oh, it's a pretty good movie, you know? Like if you're not a grumpy film critic, it's a fun-ass movie. And he's good in it. Life is a House, award-nominated movie, did really well in that. Shattered Glass, played a really good creep. So the kid had something, but it might be a combination of the kind of writing, again, that like the running joke. You can write this stuff, but you can't say it. And the kind of phenomenon that Patrick Husinger brought up where you get kids in auditions, whether they're nine or 17, and they crush the audition, but then on screen reading, you know, the real dialogue and the, you know, got cameras and the giant crew in front of them, shit doesn't land the same way. It's all possible. So I propose this question to you of this list, maybe just keep it to top three if you want, but the whole list being that playing Anakin Skywalker completely not only sidelines your career, but personally, you might be sidelined by playing Anakin Skywalker. Would any of these people succumb to that? Would Christian Bale like just not exist if he played Anakin? Or same goes for Heath Ledger or Leo. Mm, wow. Like yeah. who would have? Leo already had a career, obviously, but Heath Ledger and Christian Bale didn't. So with their careers, it would have been sidelined by playing Anakin. God, that's a great unanswerable question. I think it it's so hard to say, but but knowing that Harrison Ford is the only one that really made it out in, in a feature film sense of the original trilogy, likely same fate. I would I would assume. You know, I think yeah. I think it happened to so many of the people in in these films that that was it. They were they were Star Wars for the rest of their career. You know. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think there, there's that too. Like, would we have wanted to trade all the incredible films we've gotten? Like, I wouldn't have wanted to not see Ford versus Ferrari last year because he was Anakin Skywalker. So I'll give it that. Right. Yeah, man. I mean, it's, it's really... Answers a, we'll never get. It's really an interesting phenomenon because if Star Wars is always going to launch people's careers, how wouldn't you, as like an aspiring actress or actor, take that role but know that, like it's probably less than a 50% chance that you're going to have a career. Like, think about the main, I don't know, four people from the sequel trilogy. Like, yeah, I've seen uh, Orient Express with Daisy Ridley, and I've seen, what's the movie with uh, John Boyega's in? He was in uh, Pacific Rim. So, yeah, I mean, that's still a phenomenon, though, that, like, you could honestly say between Adam Driver, John Boyega, Daisy Ridley, and... Oscar Isaac had a career and still has a career, but like even with those top four, if you want to say Adam Driver and Oscar Isaac are the ones that are going to have a more successful career, taking a Star Wars gig is like 50% at best that you're going to have a, a solid career. Yeah, you're rolling the dice. And that's, right. that's like not cool. I mean, you're going to have money, but yeah. But you know, I mean, Adam Driver is doing everything he can to disconnect himself and unplug from Star Wars. Like he won't talk about it in interviews he won't like he's just out 
whose fault do you think that is? That's not his fault. It's it's like our fault, and I put our uh, us in that category of like fans. Yeah. It's fans' yeah. fault for sure. For sure. If you know, like you want to have better Star Wars, then shut the fuck up, you know, like accept things for what they are, you know, like you literally had people like Harrison Ford and Adam Driver and Carrie Fisher and Daisy Ridley. Daisy Ridley killed it in Rise of Skywalker. She is improving as an actress. Killed it. But you you think she's running back to do anything Star Wars right now because like no. there's just shitty fans? Exactly. Like it's such an interesting phenomenon that I, I want to say mostly exists in Star Wars, mm-hmm. but obviously exists everywhere in the world. But like, man, if you don't like something, don't run to Twitter to tell everyone you don't like it. Like maybe wait, <laughs> please. Maybe wait two weeks. Let's let's have a two week like <laughs> two week ban. Yeah, two week ban of giving your feelings on things if they're negative. I guess I should say or write it down, text it to yourself, wait a week and read it, and then decide whether yeah. or not you want to put that out. Little embargo or start a podcast <laughs> <laughs> where you try to stay really positive. Either way, either way is fine. You got to give Adam Driver and Daisy Ridley credit to uh, anybody in any of the sequels like obviously everybody put on a great performance but in their interviews when they're there to talk about star wars they always have a lot of good insight into playing the character and the story yeah and it's like they're not checked out of the movies like they're there for it you know what i mean it's like nice to see when they're there to discuss it they have a lot of good things out of the conversation which is really cool all right let's we could talk about this shit all day, but let's mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> let's cruise through some of these den of antiquities. So there's some really fun stuff in here. Well, you had to blow it up with Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, it just totally derailed the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> that probably should have been the, the very last point of the whole podcast. All right. This movie and Rogue One are the only Star Wars movies where the camera tilts up after the opening crawl rather than down. All the others tilt down to the planet or wherever. Just a little nerd, fun little tidbit. Um, the sound of the probe droid that deposits those poisonous fucking wiener bugs into <laughs> Padme's apartment through the window. <laughs> the sound of it is a leftover sound from Return of the Jedi. It's a recording of the servo motor, a little servo motor in the head of the Jabba puppet. Apparently they use that um, a few other times as well. Ben Burt uh-huh. was on on the commentary and talked about it. I don't know if they recorded that on purpose or if in the mics that are in there, they just got it and like, oh, that sounds sweet. Cool little shit like that. During the chase scene, right after this on Coruscant, Obi-Wan jumps out, you know, they're, uh, they're flying around in that, that yellow speeder. You can actually see it's really tiny. You have to pause. I had to go find a still of it and then go watch the movie to then make my brain actually see the thing because it's so tiny. You can see three TIE fighters chasing an X-Wing. And the left side of the frame in a trench going from like bottom left to top left, you know, sort of forward. They're so tiny that they're just silhouettes, but it's in there and it's fucking sweet. Hmm. When Jango Fett gets into his ship right after his fight with Obi-Wan, he bangs his head on the partially open door. And they did this intentionally as a reference to the famous scene, the little bit in episode four where the stormtrooper accidentally bumps his head coming through that door. Hmm. They put it in. To suggest that it's like in their DNA that they're just fucking clumsy because they're all clones. Oh, I love that. So that's like the one remaining clone in the scene. Like all the rest may have been like stolen kids or whatever, but that dude's a clone that bumps his head. I love that. (laughs) Yeah, I noticed this one today just because I read the notes and I'm watching it and then I noticed it and I was like, oh, there it is. Sweet. Moving on, Samuel L. Jackson asked George Lucas if he could have a purple lightsaber. 
no, I mean, purple's his color. That's his thing. But he had the thought like, okay, we're going to have this big ass Coliseum scene with all these Jedi. If I'm watching this thing, I want to know where the fuck I am, you know? So I want a purple lightsaber so it could stand out. And apparently Lucas at first was like, no, they're just blue and green for Jedi. And he's like, why? I want that. And he's like, all right, well, maybe we'll do it. And he actually didn't know if it was going to happen until he saw the final. I want to believe that he actually said, yeah, but I want a purple one. <laughs> like, I want to believe those are the words that came out of his mouth, just Pulp Fiction style, you know? Like, yeah. I know you're George Lucas, but yeah, you know what I'll do if I don't get a purple one? I, you don't want to know about that. So give me a purple light. <laughs> right. Yeah, he just gave him a look, and he was like, it better be purple when I go to this movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The conversation is on film. I, I know that it's for sure oh, if we put it in the show notes or something. I don't know if it's staged or not because you never know with behind the scenes stuff. But there is a scene where George Lucas is asking Samuel L. about lightsaber colors. And he said, basically, red's bad guys, blue and green are good guys. And then right. slight pause and Samuel's like, have purple? And George <laughs> Lucas is like, yeah, maybe. Maybe. What's sick though is all the canon that's come out of, not canon, but all like the, uh, well, some of it's canon, like the speculation and the talk about like what influences colors and the idea that purple, it's the combination of red and blue. And Mace Windu had this kind of reputation of being, he's the strong one, you know, kind of like on the council. He's, you know, like uh, Yoda's all about wisdom. Windu's all about, he's a bad motherfucker, you know? I was just going to say, yeah. do you think his purple lightsaber hilt says bad motherfucker on it? Because if it doesn't, I'm going to, I'm disappointed. <laughs> it actually does. BMF is engraved. Yeah. On yeah. one of the yeah, good parts. Okay, great. Which, which lightsaber is yours? It's the one that says bad motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Apparently that's true. Like it really does says BMF on it. Dude. And I, can I just like personally brag about the best caption I've ever put? on a photo on Instagram ever. Sure. But <laughs> posted this meme. It's the conversation between Mace Windu and Palpatine when he's like, we're keepers of the peace. We're not soldiers. And then my caption I put in was the quote from Pulp Fiction, how he's trying real hard to be the shepherd. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's like my fucking I'm greatest trying, accomplishment. I'm trying, Ringo. I'm trying real hard. <laughs> I love it. But that shit ain't the truth. <laughs> So that's, that's fucking just awesome. I love Samuel L. Jackson. There are several subtle visual cues in the design of the shots to keep track, for the audience to keep track of who's who. So the good guys, the Republic clones, the Jedi, they're always moving from right to left on screen, while the Separatists, the battle droids, the bad guys are moving from left to right. Interesting. In filmmaking, you want, like for continuity's sake, you want to keep your left-right movements in sync as you go from shot to shot if there's a chase you know and they're they're going left to right on the screen the next shot you want to do the same thing but doing things like this it's really subtle but when you're bouncing back and forth all over the place it's really helpful even when it's not a straight linear chase it gives you that warfare vibe you know like yeah yeah like the red the red coats and the blue coats or the south and the north mm -hmm. and the revolutionary war where like these guys are lined up over here and those guys are lined up over there so you can kind of follow the battle Yo, can I add something to this? I, I don't know where else, where I read it, but, um, okay. So apparently traditionally the good guys move from left to right always, but in these films, the clone troopers move from right to left to foreshadow that they're going to be bad. Wow. Oh, nice. I read that somewhere like a couple days ago. Isn't that sick? George? All this deep, cool shit. You're that all he, right, that, man. Yeah. He's got all these great ideas. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> um, 
Milady is said 20 times in the film. What? Is it really? Fun fact. Milady, 20 times. That it hurts. was that, you know what? It was that Titanic era, man. Jack and Rose. Yep. Repeat it and we'll get it. There's a great accidental Easter egg when Padme and Anakin are outside of one of the huts on Tatooine. You can see their shadows cast on the side of the hut. And there's something about Anakin's hair. It looks like Vader's helmet. I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, he for looks sure. like Vader standing there in the shadow. Yeah, yeah. so oh, sick. So good. They're, they're like about not embracing, but he's sort of just standing above her, like holding right, her right. hands on his shoulder or something like that. Yeah. It's super sick. And it's so sweet that that was an accident, especially given what the episode one poster was. Like, it's the fucking best accident that's ever happened. Yep. Yeah, unreal. Apparently in the DVD menu... I don't know if this works on the Blu-ray too, but in the options menu, if you key in 11, enter, number three, enter, eight, enter, you'll see a bunch of bloopers. So if somebody can test this and let us know, I mean, I could do it myself, but it would be sweet if somebody else sends this to us. As in you just do this on any remote control you have, you type those numbers and... I guess so. If your like DVD con- remote has numbers on it, you know, if it's also like a multi-use remote, then I don't have a way to play DVDs anymore, so I can't. I'm that far in the future now, where DVDs are... You don't have a Blu-ray player? I do not. Bro. I mean, I play Blu-rays on my PlayStation, so there's no numbers. Kurt, Kurt's really mad. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I, 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 everything, all of my content comes through an Apple TV. That's all, that's all I got. Bro. What? Wait, wait, hold on. Am I being given shit because I don't have a, a, a box that plays discs in 2020? <laughs> Dude, if you want to see the uncompressed full 4K in all its glory, wow. you still need discs. Can I tell you how nice it was to just load up Disney Plus this morning and be like, I want to watch Attack of the Clones right now. <laughs> exactly. It was fantastic. Exactly. It is amazing. I want somebody to bring back the fucking 100 disc changer, though, for Blu-rays. Dude. Uh, better than a DVD or or Blu-ray player. I have the despecialized versions of the original trilogy in my Dropbox Same, yeah. that I can stream, and I can't find those on DVD anywhere. So you yeah, know what? I have those fuck, too. fuck you and your DVD player. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll burn you a disc. I'm mostly just mad at the term DVD because of my early 20s, where I went to Tower Records and spent all of my paycheck on DVDs, which don't matter now. So I want all those thousands of dollars back. <laughs> I have boxes of them. Dude, there was a time on tour, and I know all of us had this. We would make our Walmart stop at like two in the morning, <laughs> and I straight could not come out without spending 50 bucks, if not 100, if not 150. And I always yeah. had a handful of DVDs. I'm looking at the picture producer Kurt put in the notes of Anakin shadowed on the wall as Vader. And man, it's fucking sick. It's like baby Vader. You know, it's a little like Kylo Ren mm. helmet. Yeah, it's definitely Kylo. It's so good. Oh, and this fucking other image of the Milady <laughs> tip of the hat. Milady. <laughs> Milady. <laughs> That's going to go in the Instagram post. I don't think I've I don't think I've said Milady twenty times in my life, and I said it twenty times in this one. <laughs> Only film. when quoting this movie. <laughs> okay, last little Easter egg, or not Easter egg? It depends on how you look at this. It's a question: Was Jango Fett an actual Mandalorian? Apparently, in the Clone Wars, people who know more correct me if I'm wrong. That the Prime Minister of Mandalore in the Clone Wars says he's not. Yeah. Refers um, to him specifically, says no. And also, yeah. Jango Fett takes off his helmet. This is not the way. For me, the 
the way I interpret it, and I think it's kind of up in the air still a little bit. I feel like there's kind of like a uh, Mandalorians, like people who are born on Mandalore. And as we've kind of seen in the Mandalorian, the show, some people can be ad- adopted into the ways of Mandalore. Foundlings. Right, foundlings. Um, yeah, so I think the prime minister of Mandalore is like kind of like a purebred Mandalorian or whatever, and he was kind of saying like, no, that dude's like not with us. Okay, word. That's the way I look at it. But... I think also Django is from a moon of Mandalore, so not like Mandalore Prime, I guess I would say. So the, the Fets and Django are from Concord Dawn, which is a moon of Mandalore. So that might even be a way to kind of just be like, no, you're not from Mandalore. You're from a moon of Mandalore. It looks like he has that sweet Beskar steel, though. Yeah. He's got yeah. like the cleanest of all time yeah. armor-wise, you know? This is early days. Well, I don't know. The history of Mandalore is so long, and there's so much shit in Clone Wars that really like puts shit into perspective. So I guess the question is, and I don't think this is, has been clarified, the sort of customs of the Mandalorians as we see in the show, the Mandalorian, were they present at the time? Or was it like, are, they, are the Mandalorians that we know in the current Disney Plus series sort of descended from the Death Watch kind of faction or what? You know what I mean? The, the way I, I interpret that, because clearly Din Djarin, his whole Mandalorian ethos is to never take his helmet off. But clearly in the Clone Wars and Rebels, Mandalorians do take their helmets off. I think it's clan based. And yeah. I think that Din Djarin's clan does not take their helmet off. Okay. For me, I think they're, they're, they reference something called the Purge, where... <laughs> I think it seems like a lot of Mandalorians were genocided, I guess. So after that, when they started like bringing in the foundlings and stuff like that a lot more to try to like rebuild Mandalore, essentially, they decided they were going to enact these rules where you don't take your helmet off. But yeah, so like in the prequel era, like the don't take your helmet off thing, that doesn't exist. Word. Essentially. All right, let's move on. I love you. I know. All right, let's talk about shit we really love. Favorite scenes, favorite moments. What's cool here? Is this cool or is this just fun and funny? I feel like some of the best shit in here are the most loved and kind of like quoted things are memeable. Memeable moment. Yeah, because this is something from a certain point of view. There are things in the original trilogy that are just like terrible dialogue to me, but they're so endearing and over time they become this inside joke like the bit of dialogue in empire strikes back and i'm sure we'll talk about this when we get to it the you stuck up half-witted scruffy looking nerf herder thing is terrible it's so bad it's bad acting it's bad writing it's so cheesy but a fucking band named themselves after it we quote (laughs) those things with love and i think the sort of like delayed love and now support and fucking standing ovations for Hayden Christensen and Ahmed Best showing up at Celebration kind of vibes are kind of in line with that. All the memes about sand and all that shit are just kind of of the same same breed. So there's a lot of that here. We'll get to the specifics when we get to quotes. Yeah, I mean, you get to now as a, you know, Star Wars social media person reading memes, get to watch this movie and Phantom Menace or whatever, any of the prequels, really any of them. You get to a point that maybe 
you thought sucked and we've made enough jokes about them where you can pass over and be like, oh, yeah, that's funny. I like that sand line. <laughs> yeah. I like sand Hannigan. Cool. All right. Nice. Yeah. You get to just laugh now instead of just thinking it's pointless or stupid or whatever. You get to laugh. And you start laughing great. with. Yeah, exactly. Including Hayden Christensen himself, like at Celebration 2019. They asked him, so how do you feel about sand? You know, and he fucking went with it. <laughs> People loved it. Yeah. But favorite scenes, favorite moments. So I'm going to run through mine here and then you guys kind of chime in with others. I may have noticed we'll talk about these. Anakin massacring the Tusken Raiders as fucked up and dark as that is when that dark side music swelled up in the theater. I remember just being so stoked. Like here it is. It's happening. It's happening. Yeah. Listening to the score of that today, the way it transitions into that, you know, that yeah. like building up like evil thing, the way it transitions. It's really like just... off metered too. I feel like, yeah. you know, like it's, it's very, I feel like, you know, in John Williams' amazing musical sense, it's off meter, which makes it unsettling. Yeah. Right. Because he's mourning the loss of his mother one second, and then it just transitions into this pissed off thing. It's like, it, it's, it's great. John Williams killed it, that little part there. As a 16-year-old seeing the movie, I was like, yeah, that was the coolest part. You know, you want <laughs> right. to dark shit. But that aside, like you said, it's it's just yeah, it's really well done. It's a good part. All little kids at Galaxy's Edge build Sith lightsabers. Every one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, one of our good friends, one of the dudes in the in the Star Wars chat, Johnny, his kid is all about the dark side. He would just like come to work and tell me, like, dude, he said this thing the other day, and fucking, you know, and he got the red lightsaber out and blah blah blah. And I was like, dude, when he asks you to reenact the scene. In episode seven, when Kylo kills Han, you know you're in trouble. He's like, no, he already did that like a year ago. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Dad, you be Han Solo. You stand there. (laughs) It's a thing. That's rough. That's rough. Yoda versus Count Dooku, like we talked about earlier. I just remember being so fucking pumped. Just, again, the very idea that Yoda has a lightsaber and that he draws it not with his hand, but by like force pulling it from his belt. Is so sick. It's so good. <laughs> I was just as pumped today as I've ever been watching it. It's it's it to me it holds up. I think it's amazing. A lot of parts of this movie I was like on my phone, admittedly, kind of like <laughs> scrolling through Instagram. But then when that part came on, I was like, I'm gonna put my phone down yeah. for this. It's the good part. <laughs> There's a good moment with Palpatine and Anakin that really kind of starts to lay the groundwork for the kind of conversations they have in episode three when he starts to kind of tempt him. Palpatine says, So they've finally given you an assignment your patience has paid off. And he's kind of just, he's doing that thing where he's kind of trying to flatter him to reel him in. But Anakin is, he's looking up to him. He's like, oh, your guidance more than my patience. And he says, you don't need guidance, Anakin. In time, you will learn to trust your feelings. Then you will be invincible. I have said it many times. You are the most gifted Jedi I have ever met. Thank you, Your Excellency. I see you becoming the greatest of all Jedi, Anakin. Even more powerful than Master Yoda. He's just like, he's got the lighter fluid over the barbecue pit and he's just doing that thing. (laughs) And that wasn't meant to mean what it means when I just said that now. There's a weird moment I noticed today when uh, after, you know, Yoda and Dooku, that whole lightsaber battle, Sidious and Dooku meet up and... 
Dooku kind of updates Sidious, like the boys coming along. It's like, yeah, yo, dude, Sith is rule of two. What do you think? Where are you going to be when the boy is ready? <laughs> right. <laughs> we know at the, the beginning of the next movie what happens, but like, what's Dooku thinking there? He's just not. Well, I mean, Dooku's also, though, trying to reel in anyone. You know, he's telling Obi-Wan during that classic villain that tells you his whole plan while you're tied up thing. Yeah. You know, says, join me. I mean, yeah, he's a Sith, but I feel like he's just a straight rogue, like a dark side rogue. Like, I'll do what I want. Yeah. He's like, all right, I'm going to make the Emperor think that, like, I'm cool with this. And then, you know, I'm going to kill Palpatine. And then, you know, I'll take Anakin as my apprentice after yeah. that or something like that. You know, they're always thinking, they're always thinking something like that. Shady as fuck. <laughs> Anyone have any other favorite scenes? Because the last one I have listed here is definitely, definitely a meme. I only love it because of the meme. I wanted to talk about Padme dunking on Anakin for sure. Like when they first kind of meet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say it's my favorite part of the movie, but I think it's hilarious. And basically when Padme probably three or four times just straight up puts Anakin and dunks on Anakin. When they first see each other for the first time in 10 years and Anakin's like already in love, Padme's like, oh, you've grown oh, you'll always be that little boy on Tatooine. And I'm just sitting on my couch like, oh, my <laughs> God, dude. <laughs> you'll never have pubes as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, like, seriously. Like, he's actually sweating at the fact that he's going to see Padme for the first time in a decade. And within five minutes, she's like, you'll always be that little boy on Tatooine. <laughs> <laughs> the big battle, Geonosis, the big Colosseum battle with all of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. It's pretty fucking sweet to see that many lightsabers out there in battle. I have to say that I was fucking pumped in O2 when I watched this shit. How pumped would you have been if InSync would have been in the movie? Because you know that they were filmed, right? I did hear that. They, they filmed InSync in Jedi robes with lightsabers in that scene. And at some point they said, we can't put InSync in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> they could have put them in fucking alien masks. That would have worked. I think that's known. Is that, I think that's a known thing, but yeah. That's a great scene, though. So this one is just a meme. We could, ha- we could do a fucking whole podcast on the best prequel memes. We should. But when they're in the that kind of like trooper transport, they're flying across the desert, they get hit, and Padme falls out the side down to the sand. <laughs> in the meme, there's the first, you know, them in there, and then she's down on the sand, and then... Anakin turns to Obi-Wan, like, in the movie, he says, you know, we have to, I have to go back and get her or whatever. But <laughs> instead, Anakin just looks out the fucking window and says, it's over, Padme, I have the high ground. <laughs> Which is the best fucking thing ever. It's like a very meta meme because that, just Anakin having the high ground is a meme. Like, you have to have knowledge exactly. of high ground being funny to then understand that secondary meme. It's amazing. Right. <laughs> and the... The next best one, or actually, this is almost better. I won't say it now. We'll just put it in the Instagram post with the other images. I've been saving it. It's about sand. Spoiler. Favorite quotes. I love the fucking the death sticks quote in the in the bar after the bounty hunter chase on Coruscant. This dude comes up, says, "Yeah, you want to buy some death sticks?" And Obi Wan says, "You don't want to sell me death sticks. I don't want to sell you death sticks. You want to go home and rethink your life. I want to go home and rethink my life." It's humor that actually lands, and I think it's pretty fucking sweet. Yeah, I think it landed at the time, and it still lands to this day. I think I say that to myself daily in quarantine. 
except I'm already home. <laughs> so I, I don't need to go home. I just sit here and rethink my life. <laughs> <laughs> Mace Windu to Dooku and the Gene Ocean leader when he pops up on the balcony, gives him the fucking jewels line. This party's over. Straight Pulp Fiction style. It's so great. It's so Love funny. It. Obi-Wan says to Anakin, why do I get the feeling you're going to be the death of me? Ugh. That one I got immediately. So good. That's that's actually current meme. You know, the meme of, uh, I think it's, what's the new Tarantino movie? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Once Upon yeah. a Time in Hollywood. I think the new meme is Leo, like, smoking a cigarette <laughs> with a drink in his hand, like, point, pointing at the screen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was me when Obi-Wan said, Why do I get the feeling you're going to be the death of me? 21 year old me pointing at the screen like he is he's gonna be the death of you if you haven't already cut those two frames together in a meme yet just do it when we (laughs) hang up this call (laughs) but the way it follows up does actually enhance like the character relationship anakin says don't say that master you're the closest thing i have to a father then why don't you listen to me he says i am trying so yeah it's i mean it's a little awkward dialogue but it's it's good. It says something about their character relationship. Oh, absolutely. While they're in a bar watching sports and almost smoking death sticks. Oh, when I was your age. Yeah, robot football. <laughs> right. This is a dark one. Going back to the... Uh, we should talk about this too. On Tatooine, the, the lore in the, the Tusken Raider culture after Anakin slayed them all. Another red flag for Padme. Fucking hello. I killed them. I killed them all. They're dead. Every single one of them. And not just the men, but the women and the children, too. They're like animals, and I slaughtered them like animals. I hate them. Fuck. And she's like, well, that's aggressive negotiations for you. Want to get married? (laughs) Well, that's fuck. (laughs) Um, So apparently, after this event, there were legends that continued up to, I guess, present day, whatever we know is present day, on Tatooine. The Sand People, he was like this demon that came in the night and slaughtered them. Like, this moment became myth for them. Mm -hmm. So it's like built into their belief system and everything. And... I have the feeling that this is going to inform or already has the Obi-Wan series mm-hmm. and his relationship as a Jedi with the Sand People. I mean, because they, they fucking bolt, you know, when he shows up and makes that fucking sound, you know, yeah. in A New Hope. So I think there's some cool shit to be found in this new series. Good point. That would be I like really that. cool. Oh, dude, I forgot. There's some great shit from Palpatine. Little moments and quotes from Ian McDermott. The way he's playing the fuck out of the Senate when he talks about, you know, emergency powers and everything. And he's like, I love democracy, you know, like all that shit. He's the best part. He says he he'll he'll lay down his emergency powers once the conflict comes to an end. Right. It's like you actually believe him. You're like, yeah, (laughs) maybe he will. Yeah. (laughs) Even though, you know, he fucking won't. (laughs) Sneaky ass bastard. (laughs) Last quote. This is not actually my favorite quote, but it has precipitated the most delicious, beautiful stream of memes for the past 20 years or whatever. I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating, and it gets everywhere. Not like here. 
Here everything is soft and smooth. You can't be mad at it. All the memes are so good, you cannot be mad at that dialogue. I was trying my best to really make shed some good light on that last line of dialogue you gave, but this one I can't help you. I can't. <laughs> I mean, again, he doesn't know how to talk to chicks. He's been deprived of real-world experiences. That's how he flirts. I don't don't like Santa. It's not soft like you or some (laughs) shit like that. It's like, dude. Everything here is soft and blah, blah, blah. And he's like touching her as he's. (laughs) Okay. All right. It's bad. It's unbearable. It's very bad. It's unbearable, unbearable, he says. (laughs) It's wrong. It's unbearable. It's terrible. It gets everywhere. That was Darth Uh, Vader talking. That was a bad, bad, bad (laughs) thing. It was. It was Darth Vader. (laughs) All right. Let's hand out some awards. Favorite scene and favorite quote. I'll go last. I'll go quick. Favorite scene, for sure, Yoda, Dooku. It's all the nostalgia. Even though I don't remember where I was or when I first saw it, I do remember the lightsaber lighting up for the first time. And like you talked about how he pulls it off his belt with the force, all that. Like totally remember that. Completely blown away. It was Star Wars head, you know, Star Wars porn, as I like to call it on the podcast. But and then a quote I had that I really liked that wasn't on the list. Yoda, after the Tusken Raiders are killed, reacts to it, and Master Windu asks him, "What is it?" And Yoda says, "Pain, suffering, death. I feel something terrible has happened. Young Skywalker is in pain, terrible pain. That's the real shit." It's got goosebumps, man. That's the real shit. That's that's where this movie matters, you know. Because they knew, they knew in Phantom yeah. Menace, you know, like they knew and went because of Qui Gon. They were like, we got to do it because of Qui Gon. But they knew, they sensed it. But somewhere they have to sense that, even though they sense the dark side rising in him, that there is still that prophecy, you know, that there is still, no matter how long it takes, that balance will be brought in some way at yeah. the end of this arc. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously that's not conscious on their minds, but you have to imagine that Yoda, as wise and powerful as he is, had to have been thinking, we have to see this through, you know? So those are my favorites. Nick, Ashi? Uh, I'll go. I, I do really actually like the scene with Obi-Wan and Dexter because I feel like they're buddies. I feel like Dexter has some info but the pure joy on Obi-Wan's face when he sees Dexter is really some some adorable yeah. admiration that they're buddies, which is pretty cool. I like that. Yeah. It's obviously not my favorite scene, but I like that scene. It's it's kind of cool. Favorite quote, I think, because of what it really refers to is Yoda, all the way at the end of this movie, just says, begun the Clone Wars has. And to yeah. me, when I rewatched this movie recently, I was like, man, that the beginning of the Clone Wars is... The Clone Wars are my second part of this era because I think Revenge of the Sith is classic Star Wars. But Clone Wars to me is, as as far as the animated series goes, is my second favorite part of this whole era. So that line maybe didn't mean much to me in 2002, but it means a whole lot to me now. Young Ashi. Um, I was actually going to make fun of that. Quote that you just <laughs> so emotionally <laughs> delivered. <laughs> now I feel like a dick. Do it. Because you know the meme you were talking about of Leo like pointing. Like, yeah, That's yeah. why they call the movie that. Yeah. <laughs> it's Clone Wars. Yeah. Anyway. Do it. It's um, good. 
Anyway, my favorite, a uh, couple of favorite scenes that we haven't talked about already. The the seismic charges, awesome scene where Obi-Wan's chasing Boba Fett. The sound design on those seismic charges, like, exploding. Yeah, yeah. Really cool scene. Very cool. And then just just the final scene of the movie with, like, the Republic cruisers, like, taking off and, like, the whole, like, clone army and everything. I remember when I first saw the movie being like, holy shit, like, this shit's happening right now. Those are, like, Star Destroyers. Like, this is really, like, hitting me on a whole different level. You know, growing up with the original ones and everything and getting to see that is just was mind-blowing yeah the scale of it really sets the tone for what what is to come exactly as far as quotes go i, I, I that that was gonna be my quote do it be like yeah, fuck nick know. his quote sucked <laughs> yeah <laughs> now i feel like a dick so no, i can't i can't think of a quote off the top of my head but i know obi-wan has some fucking knee slappers in this movie that I can't recall right now, but I know I laughed out out loud a couple of times at a couple of his lines. Dude, for, yeah. where are you going for a drink? Yeah, like that. I love <laughs> Obi-Wan is just like the homie in this movie <laughs> yeah. and I love it. It's great. Yeah. Um I'm going to have to say my favorite scene. I don't want to be that like stereotypical like oh, or does the dark side shit, dude, like but <laughs> Everything about, like Ashi, you said, the score and the tone of him killing those Tusken Raiders is, I think, some of the best executed stuff in the film. And when you hear, it's really quiet, it's distant, but you can hear Qui-Gon yelling his name through the Force. He's like, Anakin, no. That shit's heavy. I mean, super heavy, because that's the first time, I mean, I, I guess, like, chronologically, this is the first time that someone reaches from the grave through the force to someone living, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. It's great. I think it's like on par with some of the shit we've seen in the sequel trilogies. Ray touching Luke's saber for the first time and shit like that. In terms of like emotional impact, I think it's great. My favorite quote though, it's probably just going to be a funny one. I do think that, what do I get the feeling you're going to be the death of me quote? It's so self-aware and it breaks the fourth wall in a way, but it's great. Like you said, Obi-Wan's just the fucking dude in this. I also love the this party's over moment, even though that is clearly like pulling from outside the universe. I think it's all good shit. Yeah. But I'll stick with Obi-Wan because he's my favorite character ever. All right. Final thoughts. Overall, I do, in my list of, of favorites of all 11 Star Wars films to date, put this one last. But in the rewatch and in reviewing it and listening to fucking 10 podcasts about it and reading a dozen articles, there's a lot to love in this. I really think that the heart of it, the soul of it is there and it's in the right place. And we go back to Nick's concept of using these films as like cliff notes for the real big picture story. And the major plot points of this, the killing of the sand people and the falling in love of Anakin and Padme. They're, they're, all these things are, they're right. The ideas are right. And I, I love how we took apart the building of the clone army in this episode because it cleared a lot up for me in my mind about Sifo-Dyas and how that all happened. So if it was that well thought out, that all tracks really well too. I just, there's so much there. There's so much groundwork there for, for this story to be executed in such a different way than it was. So, All right, let's, let's move on. Ashi, mm. thanks for being here, by the way. Thanks for having me. You're a little bit younger than us. What is your first Star Wars memory? Uh, I think mine is like 
probably when maybe they played some of the movies on TV when I was a kid, probably around fifth grade or so. Um, and Jabba the Hutt is like my main first memory of Star Wars. First thing that I remember. And uh, I remember being over at a friend's house and he was like, oh, Star Wars. And I was like, what's that? And I was like, this, this seems really lame, dude. Sorry. Um, and then my mom, you know, it came on TV at home. My mom's like, oh, Star Wars. She's like, this is great. I'm like, what? How come everybody <laughs> likes this? What is this? And then she got me the VHS tapes for Christmas. And then once I was able to watch all three of them, like actually front to back and like, you know, fall in love with it. That's when it all happened. So that's yeah. amazing. I literally can't remember a time before Star Wars in my life. And I think it's sweet that you actually <laughs> have that like introductory memory. Very vivid memories uh, for some reason. And I, I don't have a very good memory. So, <laughs> all right, let's do the test bay. We still don't have a test bay sound actually. So if anybody wants to dig up some deep cuts and make us one of those. You're saying like weapon sounds. It's like a weapons testing facility. I'm pretty sure. All right. Either ors. You guys, you got one? Yeah. Clone trooper suit or stormtrooper suit? Oh, man. That's tough. Shit. I, I guess I got to go stormtrooper just because it's classic. But I, I got to tell you, like, I do, I did fall in love with, like, the, the clone trooper so much from watching the Clone Wars. Yeah. It just makes you appreciate all the different variations in the armor over time as the wars go on and, like, the different levels of military and things like that. So definitely love the clone troopers, but got to go with the classic stormtrooper. The helmet's iconic. Word. Favorite things. Favorite planet in the Star Wars galaxy. I think my favorite planet is Felucia. It is where Ayla Sakura got killed by the clones. You see it in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. But it's like a very like lush, flora-filled planet. It's just really cool looking. It seems like, you know, Avatar might have drawn some inspiration even from that. I don't know. It's I think like the imagination behind like the planet design and everything was really, really good in the prequels. Cool. Sweet. Even if you got just a little glimpse. It's it just popped up in Clone Wars, like almost shot for shot, right? Yes. Clones like behind her over the shoulder kind of vibe going on. Uh-huh. Yep. Good shit. Don't want to give away any spoilers, but yeah, that shit was heavy. All right. Would you rather, Drew sent me a few here. So would you rather play high stakes Sabacc with Lando and you, you got to put up like your fucking house or something or play the Russian slap game with Chewie? <laughs> Russians, the Russian slap game being you take turns slapping each other until one person taps out or gets knocked out. And you have to let the Wookiee win, so... <laughs> right? Oh, man. I, I'm i terrible with card games, but I'd have to go with Lando, because <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't think I'd last more than one round with Chewie on that. You might not survive, honestly. That might be death. <laughs> no, I don't think I would either. All right, round one, and I'm dead. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, what do you have going on, or what did you have going on uh, before we all got quarantined outside of Star Wars in your real life? We like just finished up a record cycle and we're, you know, we're supposed to be off tour until August. So like, you know, I was planning to be off anyway. So this, this uh, whole quarantine thing hasn't affected me much, but yeah, it's like, we do have some tour dates planned for August and you know, I don't have great faith that they're actually going to happen. 
But uh, if anyone's listening and wants me to co-write some songs with them or produce their band, you just let me know. I can't even get a microphone to work for a podcast. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, hit me up. Have you been producing? Is this a thing that you do on the side? Yeah, yeah. Like uh, I work with an engineer named Nick Ingram. He does uh, most of the technical stuff, and I stick to more of like the songwriting and things like that. But uh, we work together on projects and stuff, so... That's what I try to do as much as I can in my free time. All right. Well, let's wrap this bitch up with a quote of the week. This quote is by a filmmaker whose work you definitely know, whether or not you know his name. It goes like this. It's a matter of pride to me to get the film done fast, to get it done well. I understand the need for compromise. There's no such thing as a perfect shot, a perfect film. The purpose of film is not to make a monument to oneself. That was said by Irving Kirshner, director of The Empire Strikes Back. Brilliant motherfucker. No longer with us, but obviously his legacy lives on. So where can people find you on the internet, Ashi? You can find me at, at Ashi Bashar on pretty much everything, and I'll be there waiting for you. Can you spell that for the humans? Get them gigs. <laughs> O-S-H-I-E-B-I-C-H-A-R. Ashi, thanks for being here, dude. It was sweet. Thank, it's rad to talk to someone who has love for these prequel films because I, I need that in my life. I need that positive energy in my life. Hey, guys, it's Ryan, and you can find me on the webs at William Ryan Key. Ashi, thank you for being here. Ashi and I spent an afternoon together in uh, Galaxy's Edge here in uh, Anaheim not too long ago, so it was, it was cool to uh, actually hang out. He's a participant in the uh, Batu crew profile that I run. But if you want to follow me and interact with me, I am bored as hell. Please talk to me at, at Nick Bayside on Twitter or Instagram and the aforementioned at Batu crew Instagram profile. You can find me, Adam Russell, at Adam the Skull on all the stuff, all those things. On all those things, you can also find the podcast. So on Instagram, which is where we tend to be the most busy, you can find us at Thank the Maker Pod. On Twitter, it's at Thank the Maker One, the number one. And cool, we keep getting a bunch of new patrons on Patreon, which is kind of one of the ways we keep this little gig going right now. So if you want to get on board and support us and the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash thank the maker pod. And you can support the podcast and get in on listener-submitted content and questions you may have for, for us about Star Wars or anything else. So get involved in Patreon, and thanks for your support, guys. Again, this has been super fucking fun. Ashi, thank you for upping the number of bass players. <laughs> thanks for tolerating all the technical bullshit. And thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next time, may the Force be with you. 